I usually do bench twice a week, which there's only four benches, which for 20,000 people is not enough. Coming up on Carolina Connection, students say UNC's recreational facilities are overcrowded. Good morning, I'm Savannah Gunter. And I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. Also this morning, Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz is considering leaving UNC. Some people are boycotting Starbucks because of their labor practices. Carborough's Film Fest is featuring work by UNC students and faculty, and the town of Chapel Hill is encouraging residents not to rake up their leaves in their yard. The very best thing to do is just to leave them where they lie. If you're concerned about your lawn, you can blow them underneath um, the trees and perennial gardens. From the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us. A report in the Michigan State University student newspaper has put the future of UNC's leadership in doubt. The report said UNC Chapel Hill Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz is the sole remaining candidate in Michigan State's search for a new president. MSU has dealt with several crises in recent years, including the sex abuse conviction of gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser. Four MSU presidents have been ousted from their positions in the past five years. As we're recording this Friday afternoon, Guskowitz has not said whether he's leaving UNC. In a brief statement, he said he and his family are weighing their options. Anna Liz Nichols is a reporter for the Michigan Advance and a recent graduate of MSU. She joins me now to discuss her alma mater search for a new president. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. To start, why has there been such a problem retaining a president at MSU in recent years? The current problem started in 2018 with the resignation of you know, the first president in this section of, you know, short-lived presidencies, and that would be Luana K. Simon, who resigned um, at the request of many members of the Michigan legislature, as well as many around the campus community and many of the survivors of uh, disgraced former Dr. Larry Nassar, who was a doctor at the university and with the USA Olympic gymnastics team um, and was convicted in multiple courts of crimes related to um, sexual violence and child pornography. Since then, there have been many issues dealing with transparency and accountability within the university that have bled into other presidencies and created issues. Why do you think a president position at MSU would be appealing for Guskowitz coming from UNC? So, you know, it's a it's a major position in, in Michigan. It, I don't know if it's a matter of wanting something different than his role he had in, in over in North Carolina or if something about Michigan appeals to him. There isn't a lot known about our presidential process. It's a very... Um, closed door process, which is fairly controversial considering a lot of the public outcry against the university has been over its lack of transparency with many issues. What are alumni and faculty and students hoping for in the new president? The university community for years in general with both the president and the board have asked for more transparency. They would have liked to see a more open process where I mean, MSU has a page with updates about the presidential search process. I think it has about six entries, some of them two months in between. 
So that's not a robust, informative, transparent process by many standards. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit more about this unfolding situation. Thank you for having me. Guskowitz's statement Thursday said, I am focused on serving the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, a place I have lived, worked, and loved for 28 years. Through the years, a variety of professional opportunities have been presented to me. My family and I must weigh each one, and we are weighing this one. UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees Chairman Jean Prayer put out a statement wishing Guskowitz and his family well as they consider their decision. But he added, The success of our university and the promise of its future is bigger than any one person. The momentum and leadership of our state's world-class university will continue. In other news, student leaders are asking the Board of Trustees to improve and expand UNC's recreational facilities, the places where students exercise. And students may be willing to pay higher fees in order to make it happen. Carolina Connections' Anthony DeHart has more. Students have long complained of extended wait times for equipment and maintenance needs at two recreational gyms on UNC's campus, Ramshead and the Student Recreation Center. A survey conducted by Campus Rec this fall found that 86% of respondents said the gym is overcrowded. For UNC first year Ethan Gallagher, this comes as no surprise. I mean, about every time you go, you have to wait about 10 minutes to get like a cable, and it's even worse for benches. I usually do bench twice a week, which there's only four benches, which for 20,000 people is not enough. Bella Andaluk, a junior at UNC who works at the Student Recreation Center, sees this capacity problem in action regularly. Most days it is, it does get very crowded. Most of the time people come in and they go right back out because they see how crowded it is and people can't even use the gym at that time. For students like Anne DeLuke, who also works out at the SRC, trouble accessing fitness resources poses a very practical problem. I have to save about two hours, two hours and 30 minutes every day to work out because I have to wait for equipment. If I work out, then I probably won't have time to eat before class and stuff like that. So it does get very frustrating. She says that over an hour of that time is spent waiting. Susan Miller, an operations supervisor at Ramshead, has seen the same scene play out there. She also noted that there have been maintenance problems at Ramshead in the past, but says there's been some progress. There have been like leaking issues to where sometimes we'd have to put out like buckets to catch water um, that was leaking through the roof. And so recently they've been able to get the funding to like fix the roof. For those who use these facilities, this is about more than just working out. The survey conducted by Campus Rec also found that 90% of people who reported using the SRC found that doing so supported their overall wellness and 73% stated that it supported their mental health directly. During the November meeting of the UNC Board of Trustees, student body president Christopher Everett brought these concerns front and center. Our students deserve exceedingly more from our recreational facilities. Everett proposed raising student fees to improve facilities on campus, including the workout spaces and the student union. For an undergraduate student body that exceeds 20,000 students, our university is charging fees that total $1,732.46, um, somehow with the expectation that this will support all the needs across our campus. Um, and as you can see, our total fees fall behind every other university partner in our system. Nate Nuffman, the Vice Chancellor of Finance and Operations and CFO, told the board that raising student fees won't solve the problem completely. We have a 3% statutory cap 
on how much you can go up across all of those fees. That's equivalent to about $50 per student in that area. So it's, it's, it's helpful, but it's probably short of, of overall dollar target. Nuffman said that there may be more creative solutions to this obstacle, and the board is scheduling a tour of the facilities next semester. They also asked Everett to identify where they could make an immediate difference and committed to working towards a solution. For students like Gallagher, these solutions may not come in time. Next year, I'm hoping to get a car so I can go to a bigger gym close by because this is, just isn't adequate. It's not big enough, you know. And I think that it needs to be bigger for more students because there's only going to be more students in the coming years. In Chapel Hill, I'm Anthony DeHart. Thursday was Red Cup Day, a Starbucks national promotion where customers can have their coffee served in a reusable holiday cup. But some students and other local residents are staging a boycott, a Red Cup rebellion, to protest Starbucks' treatment of workers. Caroline Horn reports. Early in the morning, outside the 103 East Franklin Street Starbucks, protesters handed out flyers, which encourage readers to call Starbucks hotlines and request better conditions for workers. Toby Posel, a UNC sophomore majoring in history, is a volunteer for the Starbucks Workers' Union. He organized the protest outside of the Starbucks, as well as the October 12th protest outside of the Carolina Inn, rebuking Starbucks executives featured as guest speakers at the Keenan Flagler Business School. He said that while the Red Cup Rebellion protest was less passionate than the Carolina Inn protest, he hoped that Thursday's efforts raised awareness for the issue. That it was maybe a slightly more gradual step to say, you know, we're not trying to shame you for shopping here. We're not, we don't want to yell at you or, or tell you you can't shop here. Just want you to be aware of the, the workers who are making the product that you're consuming, understand their treatment, understand their the abuse at the hands of their corporate bosses, understand that they've been, you know, threatened and retaliated against and, and uh, fired for, for trying to organize their workplaces. Posel said that some of the issues the union is fighting for are better pay, better working conditions, and workplace dignity. The company has faced national scrutiny as the Red Cup Rebellion protests took place at stores from New York City to Seattle. Heya O'Day, a UNC student and former Starbucks employee who unionized a store in Wilmington, claims her involvement with the Starbucks Workers' Union resulted in her not being rehired by the company when she moved from Wilmington to Chapel Hill. Starting the unionization like process, it started putting a target on my back, and that's when I was starting to get hostility from upper management as well. Starbucks argues that unionization actually hurts employees more than it helps. As communication can be lost by third parties, workers must pay dues, and members are restricted by fixed contracts. 20% of last year's profits were dedicated to wage increases, better training, and new equipment for workers. Starbucks also said that unions may prevent employees from directly engaging with managers to address concerns. At the Franklin Starbucks, the manager asks that protesters not block the store entrance. Hey, Starbucks um, today. Y'all are more than welcome to do whatever y'all need to do, but if y'all could just come back a couple ways. All right, no worries. So if y'all can just not block our entrance, that would be great. No worries, no worries. All right. O'Day said that her hours were cut significantly after unionizing, she's prohibited from wearing union paraphernalia, and that she felt pressure to quit Starbucks. Customers of Starbucks say that while they have noticed that Starbucks can be crowded and hectic, they were unaware of the conditions for workers highlighted by the union. Luke Mariello, a UNC student, said that he was unaware of the protests regarding workers' rights before Red Cup Day. I would like to see them hiring more staff, you know, just because these problems have 
recently been brought up to me and it would be cool to see them rectified but I'll still probably get my coffee here at least like once a week, maybe bi-weekly, just because it's a convenient option and I live close. While the union has gained increased attention regarding workers' conditions, Pozel said that he thinks that awareness has not spread at UNC and that the process to put pressure on Starbucks through boycotting is slow and gradual. In Chapel Hill, I'm Caroline Horn. This fall, the town of Chapel Hill is encouraging residents to put down their rakes and their leaf blowers. The Leave Your Leaves program aims to help the local environment by leaving fallen leaves in place. Reporter Sia Jen has the story. When people see leaves falling and piling up in their yard, they may naturally want to pick them up. But the town of Chapel Hill suggests you not do so. The Leave Your Leaves campaign in town is encouraging people to leave the leaves where they fall. Barbara Driscoll is the co-chair for the Bird-Friendly Habitat Committee under New Hope Audubon. She's been in charge of the program since 2020 after being inspired by an autonomy professor at the University of Delaware. I follow uh, Doug Ptolemy. He has written the book Bring Nature's Best Hope and Bringing Nature Home. And one of the things that he found was that it was very critical for us to leave our leaves in order for the insects to have a place to overwinter. Leaving leaves also benefits the ground since leaves will decompose over the winter to improve the soil health and provide further benefits. That soil also, the leaves will help retain water, which helps prevent flooding because they can retain up to two inches of water, whereas if you have grass or asphalt, that water just runs off. Driscoll also says what people should do with the leaves and how easy it can be. The very best thing to do is just to leave them where they lie. If you're concerned about your lawn, you can blow them underneath um, the trees and perennial gardens, or you can use them as mulch. For households who like to take a pledge, there's a yard sign for them to display in front of their house. Driscoll gave her neighbor, Jeanette Bench, the sign to put in her yard, which changed her mind about what to do with the leaves. Bench's house has a yard that's mostly woods. The house is also sitting in a corner and has a lot of driveway, a porch, a patio, and roost. All the leaves need to be cleared off of that. And we used to put them out by the street and then the town would come by with their big vacuum cleaners. <laughs> so I think it started last year where we just, instead of putting them on the street, we just blew them into the woods. Besides creating biodiversity and improving soil health, leaving the leaves on the ground also reduced the strong pollutant for climate change. The leaves that lay on your ground do not produce that kind of methane grass, gas. It's when they're in an anaerobic situations such as the landfill where they're covered that they start creating this gas. While the campaign may have good implications, there are also potential impact on the lawn care business. Jesus Apollonio is working for grounds and landscaping on UNC campus. He says he has concerns about the program. It will definitely make us have less work throughout the day. There won't be that much to do during fall season. Apollonia also says piling up the leaves on the ground may have potential safety hazards. Animals might be hiding in there. If you step on something, they'll probably retaliate. Also, if like some people are walking by and there's some leaves and they don't know what's in there, they might trip. The program is still an ongoing effort, hoping to transform the community's relationship with nature. In Chapel Hill, I'm Siajin.
You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Savannah Gunter. And I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. The Carborough Film Fest is underway, and today it will feature a short film by UNC students and their professor, Michael Acosta. It's called Blackest Darkness, a gothic horror movie that was filmed in North Carolina. Carolina Connection's Samantha Hoffman reports. What if a self-deluded man who had committed a great sin was forced to face the reckoning of his sin? This is writer and producer Michael Acosta teasing the plot of his latest short film, Blackest Darkness. The thriller is part of the Carborough Film Festival November 18th. Acosta is filming a full-length feature on the same story. This is the third reality. There's what you know, what you think, and the dialectical unity where the absolute and relative join together. It is um, what they used to call a gothic horror film, um, also horror noir, uh, meaning that the characters in this film are kind of all bad. You explore human nature, you explore the world. The place you fear the most and yet secretly wish for. Acosta wrote the original script back in grad school. I've rewritten it so many times since. My team, Adam and Justin and I, they read it more than 10 years ago, uh, but it was just too expensive to do. Sticking with his original team in a tight budget, Acosta had to be creative and purposeful with every shot and resource while maintaining the original vision. Carborough Film Fest technical director, Brian Reckless, said while sorting through over 200 entries in the festival, it was refreshing to see a film stand out so distinctively. It clearly had a strong style, um, visually, tonally, um, etc. Like those things were strong. I don't understand anything you're saying. I know. Filmmaking is no easy feat in North Carolina. Work opportunities in the state plummeted following the General Assembly's decision to cut filmmaking tax credits in 2014, losing large productions like The Hunger Games and Iron Man 3. Though the Assembly later overturned the decision, the high minimum spending amount to qualify for tax rebates makes it difficult for independent filmmakers to start off. That's why Acosta started his film as an opportunity for students to kick off their careers. You know, I wanted to teach students pragmatic skill sets of how to make a film from development to post to distri distribution. They were overwhelmingly uh, pleased. I, you know, you're standing out in the cold, 40 degree weather for, you know, eight hours and smiling the whole time. It, it just showed me how hungry students are to get their hands dirty and to really, really learn. One of these students was junior Charles Coleman, an aspiring director of photography. I didn't expect this, but uh, one day after class, he called me up and he was like, hey, um, how do you feel about cam upping? And I was like, of course, duh. Whenever we needed a second camera, I, I was just on that operating. It was great to be, be given that, that level of trust. Days on set typically lasted 8 to 12 hours each night, which is on the average to lower side for the film industry. Coleman says his favorite day was 17 hours, saying he thrives on keeping himself busy in the chaos. Need a stand? That's on me. You need somebody to grab a lens? That's me. So I was just kind of running around and doing whatever I could. Acosta kept every moment a learning opportunity. He would budget a little bit of extra time so that there could be like teachable moments where they would walk the location and talk about, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
99% of what I've learned has come from these kinds of things. Acosta's excited for students to see the film on the big screen. They were there. They're going to remember, hey, I remember the night that we filmed that. It doesn't look like that. It looks like something different. And they're going to be able to say, I, I had a part in that film. And look, it was completed. And hopefully that will inspire them to go make good films that I get to see. It truly did inspire, Coleman says. It is exhausting. But also, you just, you just want to go again. Sing the credits play and saying camera operator and then your name, like, that's really friggin' sick. Blackest Darkness premieres Saturday evening during the 7.30 p.m. Gothic Block, the second day of the three-day festival. You can find more about specific film blocks, events, and tickets at carboroughfilm.org. In Chapel Hill, I'm Samantha Hoffman. Now, moving on to sports, we're joined by Carolina Connections' Kinsley Brady and the Daily Tar Heel Sports Managing Editor, Lucas Tomei. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, Sierra, and thanks for joining us, Lucas. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So with inconsistencies between our offense and the defense, uh, UNC still finds a way to beat Duke in double overtime, 47-45. Our school basically rushes the field. How big of a win is this for not only our football team, for our university? Yeah, it was interesting to see the students rush the field. I think it was sort of the culmination of the emotions between you know, UNC sort of looking down and out over the past couple of weeks and then coming back with a with a big rivalry victory. I think students were probably just really happy to see a win and see UNC climbing back on top. And of course, the stakes of this game um, were were notable with it being double overtime in a rivalry victory. Um, I think the emotions just ran high and you saw that with the students rushing the field. So going on to this week, UNC plays Clemson away. Last time UNC played Clemson in the ACC Championship, they lost 39-10. Drake May had 268 yards, but also two interceptions. How can the offense be more efficient in this game? Yeah, I think you're really going to want to see if you're Chip Lindsey, the offensive coordinator, uh, this team convert in the red zone. Um, In the game against Duke last week, the kicker Noah Burnett had to account for 21 points of the team's uh, 49 so uh, you're going to want to see UNC, you know, make it into the red zone, but then also reach the end zone. You're going to probably look for May's favorite targets in Tez Walker and Bryson Nesbitt to haul in some catches against uh, Clemson. And is there any way the defense can be more efficient than they were in Duke last, last week? Yeah, you, you saw the same thing against Duke that, uh, you know, you saw in Georgia Tech and, and in years past where it seemed like fatigue started to take over the defense the defense at the end of the game and they allowed a lot of points in the fourth quarter allowing their opponent to come back so i think the the main focus against clemson um which is always a team that's going to be like fighting hard through the end of the game is you're going to really have to to lock down on defense at the end of the game not allow a comeback that forces you into overtime or like forces you to drop a late game lead thanks lucas thanks for having me on that was kensley Brady and the Daily Tar Heels sports managing editor, Lucas Tomei. Raising Cane's, a southern fried chicken restaurant, has finally opened its Chapel Hill location. The buildup attracted more attention than most new fast food places, partly because of the location and a historic building right in the center of town, and partly because renovating the building took two years and millions of dollars. Now, students say the restaurant is becoming a new staple for late-night bites downtown. W.H. Hayes has more. This cage is really good. This cage is like 
describing my hometown is. On the edge of East Franklin Street, a line of people wrap around the corner and down North Columbia, all waiting for one thing, Raising Cane's chicken fingers. Todd Graves founded Raising Cane's in 1996 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but the Southern Fried Chicken Finger Joint opened here in Chapel Hill on November 7th after a year and a half of expensive renovations to the building. For employee Samara Stitt, the demand leaves no room for breaks. The line did not stop the entire shift. I worked from, it was 4.30 to 12, and so the line was just nonstop the entire time. But it was pretty well organized because they have, they told, they taught us during training what to do. Uh, so I didn't feel too overwhelmed, but it was consistently busy. Despite the hustle these opening week shifts require, Stitt says that she doesn't dread it at all when going into a shift. So my managers are very, very friendly. One of them like likes Taylor Swift, so we just joke about that in between customers. So I've really enjoyed uh, working on the shift despite it being busy, but I just think the environment really helps. Like the shift go by quickly and helps me enjoy it. On top of a friendly work environment, working at Canes also nets you enough free merch to pack a closet. It's insane. Like I have a Canes football, a Canes belt, a Canes fanny pack, a hat, a t-shirt. Like they will promote their business and give you stuff. So yeah, but like one of the many perks of working there. It isn't just employees that receive free stuff either. On opening day, there were a number of giveaways. Jade Keegan, a student at UNC Chapel Hill, woke up early on opening day and was one of 20 people who won a raffle for free raising canes for a year. So they go through eight people, call their names out. I'm like, we're, we're getting kind of close to the 20. Like, there's just no way that one of us is getting it. And then on person number nine, they call out Jade Keegan. And first thing I'm just standing there, I'm like, Yo, what? Keegan was pulled from the line to go to the upper floor of the restaurant where they signed a waiver and took a group photo with the other winners. Keegan says that all the free meals are stored on a gift card. You get three um, box combos per month for like a year, and that reloads um, at the beginning of each month to have three box combos on it. The Gaines menu only has five items. A chicken finger box with three, four, or six pieces, a chicken sandwich, and a kid's meal. Most of the menu is around 10.50 or lower, with only the six-piece combo starting at 15.45. Keegan explains that the free canes only applies to one of the menu items, the four-piece. And that comes with four chicken tenders, fries, Texas toast, coleslaw, and a drink. Except I am subbing out the coleslaw for Texas toast because I don't like coleslaw. After Keegan won the raffle, the store opened for business at 10 a.m. Keegan went through the line and got food before the start of their 11 a.m. class. They also, um, since we were within like the first 100 people in the line, um, they gave us free t-shirts and the free t-shirts had another like free gift card for a box combo in it, which was really nice. The opening of the Raisin Canes on East Franklin Street makes Keegan, Stitt, and the many people in line excited for the restaurant's success. In Chapel Hill, I'm WHAs. Finally this week, every student spends time on campus in different ways. Whether they want a quiet and secluded place to study or an open space to kick back with friends. Carolina Connections' Sia Jen asked students about their favorite spot on campus and what makes it so special. Hi, my name is Sabrina Bucaris, and I think my favorite spot on campus is the Global Education Center. There's like this cool rooftop at the top and they have a coffee shop downstairs, so it's just a nice place to like study and hang out with friends. My name is Campbell Ma, I'm a junior at UNC, um, and my favorite spot on campus is the music library, um, partly because they have a huge collection of vinyl records that um, are really interesting, and it's also like a really uh, kind of lesser known spot on campus, so it's always quiet and a really great place to study. 
My name is Annabelle Oberst and my favorite place on campus is the quad. I love sitting out there with picnic blankets and my friends and listening to music and also doing work out there when it's nice out and the weather's nice. My name is Damian Brandon. I'm a freshman here at UNC. My favorite spot on campus is definitely Keenan Football Stadium. I say that because I love going to football games, having fun with my friends, cheering on UNC, and it's just having great team spirit. Hi, my name is Lakeviana Apple. I think my favorite spot is Grand Memorial on camp because it's very cozy vibes and the fireplace is going and it's just a good place to do homework. My name is Catherine Pavalate and one of my favorite spots on campus is the Sloan Library in the Haynes Art Center um, because it's a very quiet um, and very comfy place to study and I always feel like I'm very productive there. So Savannah, what are your plans for Thanksgiving? I think this year I'm just going to visit with my family and eat some good food. What about you, Sierra? A lot of the same. A lot of the same. Um, I'm going to visit my family and I think we're going to make a big meal and spend some time together. So super exciting stuff. All right. That's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Kevin Paris. I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. And I'm Savannah Gunzer. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and X at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening.